0: Welcome to Dynamic Healing with two experts in chronic pain, David Hanscom and Les Aria. This podcast will show you how to unlock your body's ability to heal, just breathe, and learn how to rewire your brain and break free from chronic pain. Welcome to Dynamic Healing
2: Podcast. I'm Les.
1: And I'm David, David Hanscom, and Les is a pain psychologist. I'm an orthopedic surgeon, and it's an interesting, match because we have nothing in common. <laughs> what's, a sur- what's, a, what's a surgeon doing talking talking to a psychologist?
2: It, it sounds like a, a joke for the day, David. So uh, <laughs> let's not go down that path. See, uh, <laughs> David- anyway, I,
1: Les, Les and I have been talking here about half an hour, and he, as usual, is my guru. And so our title today is about remorse. And it's a big topic for me because I had a career. It was an excellent career, but the brain tends to go back into what didn't go right our brain tends to go to negatives so the purpose of the talk today is we're we're starting a new year and we want to point out that remorse is an obsessive thought pattern it's actually a cognitive distortion but we want to point out the role of remorse in holding you back from achieving your goals and Dr. Arya has some wonderful solutions which he has taught me this morning thank you Dr. Arya and I'm, I'm excited about our podcast yeah, David, and uh, so
2: remorse is really a factor that keeps a lot of people from moving forward in life. And you know, some refer to it as FOMO, fear of missing out, or guilt, uh, could be the flip side, both which are really embedded, embedded in thought patterns. And as David likes to say, um, they really don't respond to rational interventions, and I agree with him wholeheartedly. So when we have these strong sensations, feelings, remorse, for example, it really does not respond to the very basic things, uh, like trying to change your thoughts. It actually creates a lot of frustration. And it's just one of those unique things that is human. It's, a, it's part of our human consciousness.
1: Well, I'd like to start with a quote today, and this is, comes from a mentor of mine, who's one of the most successful human beings I've ever met, both professionally, career-wise, and personally. And he's one of my mentors. And he said this years ago, which I never understood. And the quote is, never waste a crisis. I'm going, what? <laughs> and that's sort of flipped me around because my life has been one series of crises after another. So solving crisis has been my issue. But he takes it one step further and looks for opportunities in the crisis. Mm-hmm. And another way of saying this is basically never look down. So as you all know, who have worked with me a bit, know that Positive thinking is a way of suppressing negative thinking, which is sort of a disaster. However, a key issue in healing is a positive vision. Your brain is going to develop where place its attention. So, from a neural plasticity standpoint, a positive vision is absolutely critical. So, remorse is actually going the wrong direction, right, Doctor Arya?
2: Yeah, in, in in some sense, if you actually just take a look at what David just said, uh, remorse is is or any other emotion for that matter, but Today we're talking about remorse. Remorse is the sense of regret. And it can be constructive, but like any emotion, much like any alcohol, when we overindulge, it becomes a problem. It becomes a problem. And, and David, as you've said also, that you know it's such a it's such a normal part that um, we tend to try to solve. But the problem with that is we solve with the same tools, David, over and over
1: again. Right. Well, the problem is repetition these thought patterns become embedded and basically you know remorse is a common almost universal trait but the obvious problem is that you cannot change the past you also cannot change the links to the past and we think of an unpleasant event in life why you'll always be triggered and fired up and just to remind the audience why are we talking about this in the context of chronic pain because what happens when your brain is in a negative place it fires up your body's physiology into fight or flight or what we call threat physiology. And What that does, it increases your nerve conduction and actually physically increases your pain, both emotional and physical pain. So the thing about remorse is actually a form of a, what we call a cognitive distortion because we intellectually know that you can't change the past and somehow our brain just goes over and over and over again. And since you can't change a past, these thought patterns become embedded. So Dr. Ari, what we or uh, can I can't call you less today.
2: <laughs> David, you, you you call me other names, but please continue.
1: All right, I don't know where where did this Dr. Ari come from? He is my guru, by the way, so that's why I'm feeling he he put me in a guru mode this morning. But no, I mean what you said was really interesting. Before we started the podcast, is that remorse can be helpful because it creates an awareness of what really wasn't correct right and so you pointed I, I looked at remorse this morning as, as only a negative and that's not necessarily true you have to feel the emotion in order to move forward and where people get stuck with this well they get stuck in their remorse and embedded thought patterns but they, they don't know how to move forward and that would historically include me
2: yes absolutely so if, if we take to take it even A few steps back here, when we do something or don't do something, when you know you can help someone and you didn't because you were tired or you just didn't feel like getting up from the couch. Just a basic example that would be guilt. And with guilt, very often psychologically, it can be so destructive. And when you have chronic pain or any chronic medical conditions, you're not able to do things for your family like you used to. Or your career or do something physical like you used to. We sometimes feel guilty, and guilty is when we haven't done something. And often that can shift over into what we call remorse. Or another name for that remorse is regret. And when we reflect on, you know, I could have gone for a walk, but I was just feeling tired. And so we move from guilt to remorse. And what what Dave and I were chatting about is that guilt is very destructive very, very destructive, because it can lead to lead you down a different rabbit hole. And many of us, when we feel guilty about something, we eventually shift into or transform ourselves unknowingly into regret or remorse. And when we're in remorse, I was telling David, one is very destructive, and the other one is more constructive, because remorse is basically saying is, I'm fully aware now what I did and didn't do was not helpful. That's remorse.
1: Well, the thing is, I want to bring this back to the chronic pain world because correct me if I'm wrong in this, but I've heard the saying that guilt is anger turned inwards. Is that a fair statement?
2: Yeah, I've heard that. I have many psychologists friends who basically say that. Yes.
1: Well, here's the deal. There's a lot of actually several papers that show that people in chronic pain, 90% of them, are still angry at the situation that caused the problem. Okay, so what that does, of course, your brain's anchored in a bad event. And of course it keeps your nervous system fired up, which makes the pain worse. Then you're trapped by the pain, which makes you even more frustrated. But interestingly enough, the person that the most angry at is themselves. Why did I do this? Why was I there? Why did I work for this person? How did this happen? And the other thing that's really frustrating, and I think I told you I had a bit of a rough accident this last few weeks where I actually blew up a snowblower and actually got partially burned it was stupid. It was a stupid thing to do. And so I feel both grateful and really not very smart at the same time, but accidents are always, accidents aren't planned. If they were planned, they wouldn't be accidents, right? So you have a lot of remorse about what happened, why did that happen? What did I do? But remember, accidents are never planned. It's just part of life is that things happen like this. So you can stay angry at yourself or angry at the situation, but that is life, Right?
2: It is life. Um, and as you just described what happened to you, uh, and I don't think it's funny for anything blowing up in your face, David, you still uh, just to let the audience know so they don't freak out here. David's good looking face is still there. Um, it's, you know, so wait, wait a minute. Actually, it's improved. Um, let's just move on. <laughs>
1: is this our our first new year's podcast by the way this is
2: our first new year's podcast. okay so david as as we're speaking here and folks are probably kind of lining up their thoughts with all right we've got just talked about guilt and we've just talked about remorse and this is today's topics on remorse and that can be constructive it becomes it becomes a pattern as you've said a few times here and but you the way you just described what you described david what comes to mind now is this: is not to complicate things, but just to show how profound and how deep our emotions are, and complex. Or we human beings make it too complex. We sometimes can shift into from guilt, sometimes into either remorse, and a deeper part that's very punishing. David, which I uh, just thought I heard a few seconds ago from you, is shame.
1: So right. I mean, I, unfortunately, I mean this just the way the brain works. I think. But every time I think about what I did, I cannot believe I. Did
2: this it was so stupid so that's so that's exactly the, so that word it's so stupid is basically right. there's there's a there's a there's a sense of remorse there but there's also what i'm hearing more with that tone of yours is that not that i'm trying to do therapy on you right now dear. but oh, yeah, is, like, we're giving <laughs> giving the audience an example here let's just pause and take a look at that so we when we feel guilty about something we can sometimes shift into remorse that's today's topic and what David just gave an example is, and then we regret like, all right, I sh- you know, should have, could have, would have, we, we do that thing. I regret doing my actions or <clears throat> thinking in a particular way. But what I'm pointing out is this, and I think we could even take this one step further and deeper that could, and it's not linear. So don't think of this in a linear fashion. It just has different ways it shows up. Shame, when you dissect shame, it's actually anger. Towards oneself and disgust. So to the recipe for that that can go from you know guilt to remorse, can even go to shame. And again, it's not linear, which means it's not going in a stepwise pattern. It could show up because when you activate, when you start to regret and you start to beat yourself, like, oh man, I shouldn't have done that. Or, you know, all right, I, those were nasty words I said to someone, or I could have done this. Yes, I should have just let that anger go. When we sometimes go from regret or remorse, We could accidentally trip the shame switch inside of us, so to speak, metaphorically. And when we sh- when we trip that switch, that creates, as you've mentioned in different um, podcasts and workshops, David, when we get into that thought pattern, it becomes obsessive. And sometimes that obsessiveness is the feel behind it is shame. And when you start to shame yourself, it actually creates more anger. It creates more disgust with oneself, and that's a dangerous route. So what we've just uncovered here is, just in David's example, is when we do some certain things, we have remorse, and that could shift into shame, and when you hit into shame, it goes into deeper, but the question that we want to ask, David, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, is uh, I don't like to ask why questions, but I'm going to ask it. So why do we do that? Why do we have remorse? Why do we have shame? And why do we have these obsessive patterns? What are
1: your thoughts, David? Well, I mean, that's an interesting factor because these obsessive thoughts, I mean, we know with human consciousness that thoughts and concepts become embedded in our brain and the human brain gives meaning to everything. It doesn't matter if it's a chair or a table or an event, we give meaning to it. And so again, the meaning I gave to this one situation where I decided to pour gasoline on a carburetor on a hot manifold and it exploded. It was so stupid. So I can't, the thing that's interesting is that it, the brain's always looking out for trouble. I mean, it's trying to protect you. And so it's going to tell me not to do that again in the future. I think that's the reason why it happens because our brain is geared towards survival, not having a good time. Yes, and That's the message today is that a lot of these things that take away from a quality life is based on your, as you call it, the internal critics, which is another way of saying cognitive distortions in a way, right? <clears throat> these inner critics. So my inner critic was, you know, <laughs> there's lots of like five inner critics talking to me at the same time and going, you idiot. I mean, why did you do that? You shouldn't have done that, et cetera. And you, we talk about the eight inner critics, and so I won't go, go into those today, but your brain, there, these inner critics are your protectors. So if I come up to the snowblower again, I'm not gonna pour gasoline down the carburetor, right? That's exactly the way it works, right? Absolutely. And I get to tease you about
2: that next year for sure. But <laughs> yeah, so that's exactly what we, David, I, I, as funny as the sound, I'm glad, I'm on a serious note, I'm glad that you are intact. And more importantly, I'm glad that we are helping the audience recognize that when we have these very punishing thoughts and emotions, and again, today's topic is on remorse, is And it's supposed to be constructive, but sometimes even with strong emotions, such as guilt, remorse, or even shame, we can over-identify with them. And when we over-identify with them, it leads to the obsessive pattern. When it leads to the obsessive pattern, it really becomes so punishing, it does not allow us to move forward.
0: Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24 through 26. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive.
1: So so what I want to do is actually spend the second half of this podcast on the solutions because this is a deep topic and we can go a long time out of the problem. The problem is these obsessive thought patterns become embedded in the brain. They're irrational. They're automatic. And the solution lies in stimulating your brain to go the direction that you want. And we use the word neuroplasticity which involves awareness, separation, and then reprogramming. So the awareness is, and we discussed it briefly, is actually in the nature of the obsessive thought patterns that they're not responsible to rational interventions and just the role of this ongoing fired up nervous system that keeps you in chronic pain. So the first awareness, which is obvious intellectually, but it's sort of hard to bring in your day-to-day life is that you cannot change the past, and you can't change the links to the past. So my first question, Dr. Arya, mm. is why do we do that? I mean, we can't change the past. We know that intellectually, yeah, you know, we're having a wonderful day. We're thinking about something that happened in our life ten years ago, even, or we'll just obsess about what happened yesterday that wasn't good. Or, um, as you know, my mother was rather abusive, to put it mildly, and we would go into a new town, and she kept moving us from town to town to town. And she would always focus on the negatives to the point where we would actually move to a different town. So we go into what we don't have. We go into what should have been, what should have been. And the first awareness is that you can't change the past. And that's why these patterns are so irrational, because we intellectually actually know that. But that awareness in and of itself doesn't change anything.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You're right about that. Awareness is a good first step let's just be clear on that, is it helps us start to step away. And uh, I'm gonna use two different ways of looking at this so the audience can choose whichever framework they'd like to work from. So the question is, why do we do what we do um, in this obsessiveness of remorse, guilt, shame? Doesn't quite matter. And when we become obsessed and we keep beating ourselves up, and this is why I said it could shift into shame and shame is anger and disgust. The question again, that begs, why do we do what we do? Here's the, here's the response on two scientific frameworks. One is I'm going to start with ACT, acceptance and commitment therapy. From the ACT perspective, we do what we do because it serves us. It's workable. So when we do that, it's, it's serving a purpose. And that's that's the first answer. So what do you mean it's serving a purpose? When I say serving a purpose, well, it's trying. We do those patterns sometimes consciously and, and unconsciously, and when we do these patterns, again, regardless of whether it's conscious or unconscious, it's serving a purpose to help us not do that behavior again. So right. that's one. That's one answer. So now let me use a different framework, using IFS, internal family systems. Now both ACT and IFS, internal family systems, are both scientifically. Um, tested therapies that really work well. And from the IFS, internal family systems perspective and framework, what we wanna do is this is all those inner critics, those, you said five, uh, six, seven, eight, it doesn't quite matter. When you have a bunch of thoughts or emotions that are talking to you and punishing you, what we wanna do is look at it as their children who are kind of stuck in a timeline. So think of your thoughts, emotions, physical sensations as children trying to protect you, very much like what I just said about act. It's in service of survival. Mm-hmm. What IFS says is basically the reason we get caught up in these obsessive patterns, and that could be a part of us. A part of us that says, why the hell did you do that? And I went, okay, I need to do that differently next time. So we started getting that remorseful talk. That's a thinking part. That could be a remorseful part, that could be a part that's afraid. So we have different thought patterns inside of us and think of them as just a bunch of children trying to protect you because you are not showing up to wake up and separate from your thoughts and emotions.
1: Right.
2: So I'm gonna <clears throat> pause there for a second and come back to you, David.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, the first awareness is that they are protectors. They come from your unconscious brain and they're not subject to your rational intervention. So just awareness, we use the word obsessive. We're not saying that in a negative way, It's just the way the brain works. It just goes over and over and over again. And with programming, they they do become repetitive and automatic. So the awareness of two things that they come from the unconscious brain, they're not subject to rational interventions. So positive thinking doesn't work. So you have to use the tools to stimulate your brain to change. So again, with neuroplasticity, it's awareness. And you have to be aware and feel the emotions because suppressing those is a problem. The second step is separation. And these these are the tools that create a little bit of a space to redirect your brain. And so they're not the solution, but they're necessary intermediate step. So basically expressive writing we've talked about, we'll talk about that in a second. Breath work that you've talked about gives a little bit of a space. Then you've also used the term welcoming in the unwelcome, but by engaging in these three different exercises and others, you create awareness of how unresponsive these things are, and then you've now created some space, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the space is, is so that much needed, and the part where, because I have done this before, you've done this David, we've talked about this offline, where before we got into this work in our younger days, we sometimes um, you know, do what we do because we're trying to get rid of these nasty things inside of us, those nasty thoughts, those remorseful um, feelings that we have, we're trying to get rid of these things, and What David and I are really saying to the the audience here is this, is to heal, you must feel in that sense, or it's really important to heal and um, to to, to feel that sense, what's showing up. And David's talking about the separation, and that is a really big thing. So step one is to be aware, step two is to separate. And what do we talk about? You talk about expressive breath work, welcoming welcoming the unwelcomed. right regardless of what intervention you use, the goal is not to try to get rid of them. And stealing from David's word, their separation is key. In act, we call this diffusion. To be- You, fused, call, it, you call it what? Defusion, D-E-F-U-S-I-O-N, diffusion. To be fused is to be like glued, like thinking of two plates being glued together. That's why we get caught up and over-identify with this remorseful feelings that we have or thoughts. So what, what you're saying is basically to the audience is, look, we, there are different skills we can learn, and it's not to get rid of them, it's just a mere separation, and to put space between the trigger and the reaction, you're trying to create the space within, and that's the practice of mindfulness-based interventions such as expressive writing, breath work, mindfulness meditation, which is welcoming the unwelcomed. These are all skills that takes practice like a language the separation is so key just as the awareness is one of the first steps again separation is so important that if you get caught up in trying to get rid of certain thoughts and feelings and even physical sensations for those those of us who have chronic pain you're trying to get rid of it you will sink deeper as david has said so what we so, want to do david, so what we want to do is basically become so aware of it that we want to start moving into a new skill of just separation.
1: So it's awareness separation, but I want to get to the punchline here for the last little bit of our podcast is reprogramming. And what I've learned is that, okay, you cannot, by fixing problems does not give you a good life. And the same mentor that gave me that quote about never a crisis asked me a question a few weeks ago about what brings you joy. And I said, well, getting my work done, helping people, this, this, and this. But I realized what I thought was joy was simply my comfort zone, which is flat out being a workaholic. That's my comfort zone, right? Mm -hmm. And that's how you define obsessive behavior. You do things that calm you down, but that's different than joy. And so the healing occurs from actually moving into the part of your brain circuits that give you joy, which I'm learning is a learned skill. So I'm going to just list a couple of things and have you fill in the gaps here. So some of the reprogramming tools that I'm learning, and I'm truly learning this is that I've learned, first of all, that enjoying your life is a learned skill. So some of the tools that come out at me is just deep gratitude for what I do have. Remember, I'm going to feel the remorse. It's not going to go away and I'm not trying to minimize or fix that, but truly enjoying what I have right now. And one of them is being, Taught by my guru, Doctor Arya. I'm serious. <laughs> I actually learned a lot this morning. Um, mindfulness, active meditation, just connecting with this moment right now. This is what I have, and simple things like what do I want to do today? Just keeping my brain moving forward. And so, can you talk a little bit less about how you create that life that you want? I know that's part of what you do.
2: Yeah, David. David said I really like how David broke this down simply. Is you know deep gratitude, mindfulness, active meditation. Do what you want to do today. Um, you know and, and live your life as if you're 20 years old. Wow, that is so cool. And to put that in into summary, here is in act we use values. So what we have been talking is about how to really just recognize when something difficult shows up. In this case, remorse, which can block you from moving forward and create other feelings. And reprogramming how to live a life that's different really is is a way of saying, how do I wish to be during difficult moments towards myself and others? Let me repeat that question again, because as simple as that may be, or profound, however we wish to interpret it, is take a look at this question, write it down. And the moment you get activated by anger or remorse or any sort of strong feeling, including physical pain, Ask yourself, how do I wish to be towards myself and the other person, situation in this difficult moment? How do I wish to be? And that basically will request you to dig deep and ask yourself this, basically, what is the value I wish to use when I feel the strong shift over this obsessive pattern? Ultimately, David, I think what we have offered the audience today is, just the awareness, the separation, and the programming, which is so key. And those basic skills require a daily practice. And as I'd like to say, you start with the skill, it becomes a habit, then the habit becomes your lifestyle.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. So I'm going to finish off today with the Davidism. And again, this started with this friend of mine, you know, asking a simple question, what brings you joy? And again, being this crazy surgeon, and I keep telling my wife that normal people don't become spine surgeons. I mean, it's an insane way to live your life. I mean, I can't think of a more stressful way to live your life. And so I learned how to deal with stress, but also took a significant toll. And again, the pattern is fixing, 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 working, solving. It's just that's the mindset you're in. But I'm realizing now that I'm, I'm not really retired, but I'm in a different phase of my career is to actually here's my quote to have to have a good life you actually have to live a good life mm. and as you live it like you said that becomes a habit right yes and so i have lots of regrets lots of remorses i watch myself go there i do do my expressive writing and different tools during the day and the one tool that keeps me connected to the moment is just what i call active meditation just sit in my chair feel a sensation taking a deep breath and just connecting to the moment that i'm in and just taking a second and just saying, another this this isn't. I'm not talking about happiness, fun to distract yourself, but that does is this giving me joy? Just a simple question. And so, just a little bit at a time, trying to move forward, move forward. So there's a deep awareness that I don't actually know how to create joy very well. Which again, this is a negative, right? Mm-hmm. So I acknowledge that and realize that there's lots of anxiety creating a whole new life that I'm not familiar with. So I'll just finish off again and say to have a good life, you actually have to live a good life. Dr. Arya, thank you for your wisdom today. I'm a better person now.
2: (laughs) And Dr. Hanscom, be gentle and kind with
1: yourself. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon and uh, have a happy 2022. Happy New Year.
0: David
2: and Les would love to hear from you about today's podcast and any ideas for future topics. You can email them at david-less at dynamichealingpodcast.com. That's david-less at dynamichealingpodcast.com.
1: Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Farber, and I'm an author, teacher, psychotherapist, and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul,